Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.
Achtung, Achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland, um, uh, in the same room together. For, uh, yeah, quite, that's, it's quite novel, isn't it? It's quite peculiar. Now, we are joined um, uh, today by a very special guest. Who have we got, Jim? Oh, today we've got Victoria Taylor, and she is uh, a historian, young historian, focusing on aviation in the Second World War, and, and just finished her PhD, yeah. uh, which is out there for judging. Is that what it's for? Assessment, I suppose? <laughs> what do you call it? Judging. It's a submission or examination. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, so, so tense moments, but I'm sure yes. you're going to be absolutely fine. So soon you're going to be Dr. Victoria Taylor. Um, and you've chosen the Luftwaffe and its politicisation or otherwise. And I think that's a, what a fascinating subject. But yeah. I suppose the, the thing that strikes me is, you know, without wanting to sound even remotely sexist, it's quite unusual for uh, young female historians to want to focus on aviation and specifically the Luftwaffe. So, mm. so where did this all come from? Um, yes, I think it's one of those things that when I was a little um, a little earlier into the career, I sort of thought, why is everyone asking that? You know, because you get that quite often. Um, but I think actually it's good yeah. to recognise that it is unusual um, in order to make it more usual in the future. So my interest in aviation started um, because I'm originally a Bomber County girl. Um, so I'm from Lincolnshire. And um, as a result, you know, I grew up just outside of RAF Waddington. Um, and so I constantly had, you know, the red arrows would greet me home from school. I mean, it was just, right. <laughs> you know, you, you see that and you sort of think, wow, you know. Um, and then also my historical interest came from seeing the uh, the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. Um, so obviously, you know, I'm sort of seeing the Lancaster. And then when you see hurricanes and spitfires, you think, oh, you know, what is this? You know, and you get absolutely absorbed. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think... With a lot of aviation historians, and I think, you know, you two will be the same in terms of military history, you do get this almost primal, visceral reaction to it. Um, you know, some might say it's past lives, some might say it's, you know, it's just, just fervent interest in the subject. Um, but that really resonated for me. You know, it's that whole thing that people say, oh, they hear a roar of a Merlin and suddenly yeah. goosebumps, you know. So it's yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. It, it's a similar thing. It's not really, I don't think it's... Um, defined by my sex really I think it's just you know it is well I don't think it should be at all yeah absolutely you know I I, I, I just think it's completely brilliant that you're doing this thank you I I don't understand why there aren't more uh, Mm. female historians writing about the Battle of the Bulge or Normandy or Battle of Britain or whatever there's there's no reason for it at all well yes I think that's the thing I think there are you know some brilliant amazing talents coming up through the uh, historical branch through various institutions but it's just getting that visibility so you know thank you for being part of that cause and in raising up Platform, you know. There's also there's, there's Tammy Davis Biddle, who's a brilliant yes. aviation historian yeah. over in uh, over in the United States. But mm-hmm. you know, there's you know, you are a bit of a rarity, but yes. you know, one mm-hmm. to be celebrated. For, but it, it's a generational thing that I think that's, that's shifting, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's, the, the other thing to point out is you are considerably younger than James and I. And before <laughs> before we before we came on air, uh, Victoria was saying, "Oh, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to watch your <laughs> TV program." I think, "Oh, great." I'm and, sorry to and, age you. <laughs> well, no, but, but but no, but I think this is one of the interesting things is that is that maybe these maybe these sort of um, cliched laid lines of who should be interested in what. Yes. Um, a looser generationally mm. and apply differently generationally, and I think that mm. I mean I, I mean it's absolutely absolutely. But the other thing, it's always brilliant to meet people who are interested in this subject. Absolutely. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter yeah, who, they, matter are, who they are, who they are, where they're from, or any of that. 
But so, so the Luftwaffe and it's, yes. uh, the, the, I mean, you, you're talking about the Battle of Britain Memorial flight, but here you are looking at the uh, the, uh, the other side. <laughs> so, so, so how did you make the, how did you make that switch? How did you end up there? Well, I did my master's. Uh, I did a research master's also at Hull on um, the uh, wartime post-war mythologization of the Dambusters, so Operation Chastise. Right. Um, and obviously it was really interesting. God, I'd like to read that. <laughs> <laughs> There's that one too. Um, and that was interesting because obviously, you know, I was focusing so much on bomber command in that aspect that um, I just found it really interesting in terms of when you're reading stories about the German flak artilleries and, and finding it quite interesting that, oh, the Luftwaffe control those. Um, and then just sort of yeah. areas of um, looking at sort of the frustration and the turmoil it created um, within the Nazi leadership, but also for the Luftwaffe, because, you know, obviously the dams raid took them entirely by surprise. Um, and I just got myself thinking more about that aspect in terms of being like, well, well, why couldn't a, a, an effective response be, um, you know, rallied against the dams raid? I mean, you know, we can go into the whole, oh, the secret, uh, the secrecy of it, the surprise of it, etc. But I just thought, what what could have been there? Um, and so I just started moving towards um, looking at the German side. I'd found it really interesting. I'd sort of studied German history, but out of a different period for my German A-level. And I just thought... You know what? We don't have enough stuff on, uh, you know, I, I found that the Luftwaffe's politicization hadn't really been explored in the same way that the German hairs had, you know, the German army. Yeah. Um, and so really, it was just, as always in, in literature, in historical literature, just trying to find the niche. And, and thankfully, I found one. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that you know, one of the, you know, the commander in chief of the Luftwaffe is Goering, and mm. he's effectively the number two Nazi. Yes. Uh, and, and certainly <laughs> at the time that the uh, Luftwaffe is is being announced in whenever it was 1935. Yeah. You know, of course it's going to be politicized. Well in the, in the way that in the way that the, we 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 assume naturally that the SS must be because that's how it's explicitly set up. Mm -hmm. That's Himmler's position within the within uh, the, the the Nazi top brass. Yeah. So it surely logically must follow that that the Luftwaffe uh, falls into that sort of category too. I mean mm. it, it but, well, because but, in the 1930s you haven't got you haven't got a politician running the army or a politician running the Kriegsmarine, but you have got a politician, a Nazi politician, yeah. running mm -hmm. the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of people have automatically assumed that the Luftwaffe, in the words of one historian, is a true child of National Socialism because of that. Um, and indeed, there's certain historians that have traced sort of the birth of the Nazi Luftwaffe to when Hitler becomes Chancellor, uh, you know, in January 1933. And then by extension, because you've got Goering as its commander-in-chief, um, you know, there is this sort of assumption that one of Hitler's loyalist politicians, um, at least at that point, uh, you know, when he's in place of the Luftwaffe, there is this assumption that automatically Nazification is going to trickle down. But I think the point at which I tend to introduce people to my research is the fact that you present them with the story of Goering on the one hand, you know, being partially responsible for the Holocaust, um, you know, and in that regard... Absolutely. Yeah, he gives to... the green light, doesn't he? he, he yeah, he... absolutely. No, this is the thing. He gives the green light to it. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you've got to look at anomalies like Erhard's Milch, who is of Jewish heritage, uh, that Goering hides, you know, this this potential heritage of. And he does it for so many um, personnel in the Luftwaffe, you know, men that they feel will be that he feels will be useful to him, um, that there's actually this reputation around the Luftwaffe that 
for those who have Jewish heritage to actually go there because they think they're going to be better to protected. Be so and the that's minute, so interesting. Exactly. Because there's Heinkel as well, isn't there? There's a sort of question mark over him, I think. Yes, exactly. Well, this is the thing, you know, you, you sort of have, it extends to aircraft companies as well. It's basically, it's not out of any altruistic motive. You know, it's not, oh, we're just, you know, uh, he's well, actually secretly, you know, a supporter of the, yeah, exactly. It's more practical. Um, although, to be fair, his wife, his second wife did actually sometimes request Goering uh, to save some of her Jewish friends and to protect them. So there is that link. Um, but, but, I, but I don't yeah. think Goering is as... He, he's not as ideologically no. anti-Semitic as a lot of the other leading Nazis. No, I mean, he's, he's anti-Semitic. There's no question about oh, that. Yeah. But, but, he's, but, but it's not absolutely part well, of the very and core. And he's within, within the Nazi mindset, sort of pragmatic, isn't he? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and expedient, yes. isn't he? Yes. It, it, um, it, in the way he deals with stuff. Yeah. But, but he's also... Air Force through and through, isn't he? Because that's the other he thing is. about Goering, yeah. that, 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 that he's a fighter ace. Yes. So he's plugged into what's been going on under the under, uh, behind the scenes before yes. the establishment of the Luftwaffe, isn't he? Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, of course, he becomes quite famously, he becomes the last commander of of, uh, of, of Manfred von Richthofen's Jagdschwader one. Um, and, you know, he obviously makes a big deal of this, of being the last commander of the Flying Circus. Um, and because of that, you know, he, he allegedly writes, according to Nazi propaganda, in his diary in December 1918, that I must restore German aviation to the skies. Um, and the reason that that is sort of, whether that's written or not, um, that leads into this great narrative of, uh, of Goering having found the Luftwaffe single-handedly, although, of course, he doesn't, because, you know, there is indeed the Schwarze Luftwaffe or the Shadow Luftwaffe that is constructed in the Weimar Republic with the help of the Reichswehr and also directly with successive Weimar cabinets and governments. So, you know, that he's well poised because he seems to have this veneer of respectability in some regards, but he's got that sort of political agitator spirit that, you know, when wedded together are, are quite dangerous in the results. I mean, uh, aviation and Nazism, though, fit this sort of uh, idea of modernity, don't they? Yes. That, that's, that's doing the round in, rounds in the 30s. So after all, and Hitler, Hitler goes off and, and does... Well, he does his election campaigns by, by air. Yeah, yeah. And all that sort of but, 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 but aviation is, is very snazzy, isn't it, in the yes. 20s and 30s? Mm-hmm. And, and seen as modernistic, thrusting, forward-thinking yes. in the way that fascism is yeah. as, as, as well. And, you know, and, and things like the Scheider Trophy are, are all tangled up Mm. With fascism, aren't they? You yeah, know, absolutely. The, the, uh, yeah. Uh, top to bottom. So it's perhaps it's little surprise, really, that the that you get this um, uh, uh, commingling of the idea of aviation and Nazism yes. in, in in the Third yes. Reich. Well, definitely. I mean, you know, as you say, the sort of Hitler is sort of seen as this sort of messiah from above because you know of, of being such a prominent politician using aircraft powerfully for the for really for the first time. Um, yeah. And also, you know, the Nazis often use the allegory of aviation for their own means. So, you know, it's this idea of national resurgence uh, and might and power and modernity, but also blending that with historical precedent. So, of course, within their propaganda, they're also threading the ideals of the Kanonen or the top guns from the First World War, so the German fighter aces. You know, you've got your your Bölkers, your Immelmans, your Richthofens, um, your Vosses. You know, you've got those individuals are sort of tied into that narrative. Um, and it works very, very well for the Nazis because they've got this sense of that kind of modernity but also on top of that the spectacle that comes from aviation and this starts originally with the zeppelins but of course you know yeah. moves more into into powered flight you know it, it's really compatible 
But it's also tying into that that sort of this perceived tradition of um, military excellence. Yes, uh, of absolutely. having individual yeah. heroes and, and yeah. people who are kind of widely known around the whole nation. And mm-hmm. you know, the the Germans and you know the Nazis when they when they reemerge in the night when they emerge in um, in the nineteen thirties. Yes. Well, when they take far, power in the nineteen thirties, it's they're harking back to this this earlier period of mm. perceived military brilliance. Yes. Though this is the thing it's but so But with their own slant. Absolutely because this is so important because obviously you've got two I think people often forget you've actually got two really disaffected generations within German aviation because on the one hand of course you've got the Luftstreitkräfte veterans you've got those from the First World War um, who are seeing Germany fall to pieces um, you know the stories of them getting drunk and singing morlidly because of the fact that you know that they've lost any idea of what Germany is now after you know um, after the revolution so You've got those on the one hand, but also you've got to remember that some of the younger cohorts of the Luftwaffe of the future, because, you know, some of the earlier commanders do become the the elite of the Luftwaffe in the Second World War. Some of the younger um, Luftwaffe men that are rising through the ranks, um, you know, from the Spanish Civil War and beyond, have grown up in that disaffected Germany. So, you know, they're seeing all of this dialogue about, you know, the Treaty of Versailles ripping the soul out of Germany. They've seen German aviation crushed underfoot, as one veteran puts it, um, in a way that, you know, in the army and the navy, there is there are restrictions, but it's not, its entire identity isn't ripped out in the same way that it is with German aviation. So this is the thing, like you've you've got this kind of feeling of, yeah, disenfranchisement in a way in terms of feeling like, you know, all of this energy, all of this angst at the way that Germany is treated, uh, you know, at Versailles and beyond um, needs to be channeled somewhere and sort of the Nazis, unfortunately, as one veteran puts it, they steered it in the very, very right direction. I mean, are you, have you got aviation veterans in the Freikorps and all that sort of thing? They're, you do, yes. And they're mo- mobilised and joining up and all that sort of stuff. No one ever considers the fact that there's aviators in the Freikorps. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, obviously, they're sort of, they're quite rogue. Um, you know, there's not too many. I think the, the vast majority of the of the Luftstreitkräfte veterans sort of are, are lost. The, the minute that Germany's being disarmed, they don't really know what to do. But yes, there are a few individuals uh, in the Freikorps. And it's interesting because some of them do continue fighting in such a way that actually is quite nasty you know there's one that suffers quite a bad uh withered it's either a withered leg or a withered arm because he gets injured there's one that's killed over a parade ground when there's an air crash um you know so it's it's not really there's not a big enough sort of contingent of aviators within the fire corps that it's it automatically sort of translates to the luftwaffe later on but there is that very much there are german aviators that feel strongly enough politically that they do join you know, join movements get, like get the involved. In, yeah. in, right. That's so. There's antecedents there of politicisation around around aviation. But then everything everything's politicised in post-war Germany, isn't it? That's yes. the, yeah. the, 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 the this is this is what happens. Is that because the country perceives itself as having been sort of pitched into a yeah. into an injustice, a crisis, yes. and all those sort of things. Yeah. Absolutely, every aspect of everything is politicised. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and and. Um, uh, Dieter Kerberg, who ended up being an ME262 pilot in the Luftwaffe in the Second World War, he gives this really interesting... If you've gone to the 
the Air Museum that's at um, Flugplatz Berlin Gatal. Um, there's a really good exhibition there. I don't know if it's still there. It was there a couple of years ago. Um, and it's got interviews with Dieter Kerberg. And he notes about um, the fact that he grows up around this chaos in the Weimar Republic. And, you know, he's like, there's a murder there. You know, there's people, scra- you know, like families scrapping over trying to get the coupons in the Weimar Republic. Um, and we also mustn't forget, of course, that a lot of this the political murders that are happening in the Weimar Republic are being caused by people like the Freikorps. So, you know, it, yeah. it really is this amazing gaslighting by the right wing in terms of the fact that it's like, oh, look at this despair and chaos of the Weimar Republic. Yeah, which you're causing, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I also want to mention the Hitler Youth because, of course, you know, the Hitler Youth gives people opportunities and, yes. and that gives the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the Nazis an opportunity to politicise youngsters. Yes. Teenagers. Yeah. But it also gives people the opportunity to become pilots albeit glider pilots yes yes and this is, you always get this sense don't you that this that you know for these young boys this is incredibly modern ex- and exciting even yeah. though it's gliders yeah. rather yeah. than mm-hmm. mechanized mm-hmm. um aircraft yes and that they're part of something a little bit kind of special yes. and, and a bit sneaky yes and, and and i mean in terms of sort of getting buy-in yeah to the future Luftwaffe. Yes. What a what a great thing to do. Yes. Because you're 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 giving some young lads an amazing unique opportunity yeah. which no one's ever had before. Yes. But thanks to the Nazis, you're yes. you're you know I mean, it's, it's, you've got this chance. I mean we'd call it outreach now, wouldn't we? We call it outreach. <laughs> outreach. It's, well it is it's, outreach. It's excellent outreach, isn't yeah. it? For, but you're also politically buying them into something. You yeah. are this is the thing. This is uh you know we don't like to call the Nazis geniuses because of how deplorable they are, but there's certain strokes of genius we think, oh God, no wonder it was it was so successful in some regards. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, in Germany, the glider craze has sort of started in the 1920s um, because it had been, you know, a form in which German aviation could be expressed that actually could get around Versailles to a certain extent um, because, you know, obviously, obviously there were a lot of restrictions on, you know, sort of weight and speed and all sorts of different aspects uh, of powered aircraft so gliding is a way to get around it um, and they do have different organizations uh, that are sort of uh, sort of amalgamated by the Weimar Republic to try and make German aviation more centralized and and to build it up sort of surreptitiously um, but yeah it's definitely under the Nazis I think civil aviation really does take off no pun intended in that regard because of the fact that uh they form the deutsche luftsportverband which is sort of the the german air league um air sports league and that comes about they also create the national socialist flyers call um and of course that is particularly um steeped in in political indoctrination um but yeah this is the thing they sort of they create those quite early on in the 1930s they also create which is often lesser discussed the nazis do um look into creating um these uh fliegersturmer uh, or flying divisions flying storms for the ss and the sr and they do that before they actually take power so you know there's quite a lot of um commentators at the time sort of critics of the nazis that said oh they did nothing for aviation and it's and it's like they did it's not again it's not altruistic it's for their own means but the right. problem is, is because they've done that, they are seen as champions of aviation. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, the youth is a, is a great way to tap into that because, you know, they can get gliding certificates. They can also look into different areas. So it's you're not just training mm. 
the flyers of the Luftwaffe, you're also training the ground crews. You know, you're training um, mechanics and locksmiths and painters and saddlers and all of these different aspects that will eventually build up the Luftwaffe. And indeed, Nazi propaganda is so clear about that. You know, in um, Der Adlot, you know, of course, is the Eagle, the Luftwaffe's dedicated magazine. They say that, you know, the young boys of the Hitler Youth will come under, you know, the commander in chief's banner when they're old enough. So, you know, they are sort of intended to go through the Aviation Hitler Youth and through the National Socialist Flyers Corps and then on to the Luftwaffe. And, and so, so that's the, 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 the potential crews and p- potential airmen. What's the Nazi approach to industry, to, to, the, to the aviation industry? How are they engaged with them? And mm. uh, because obviously that's the, you know, that's the, the, other, the other part of it, isn't it? Is that, yes. The, yeah, yeah. The, and as the war comes, then you're going to get questions of slave labour and all that sort of stuff that the Luftwaffe will be relying yes. on for, for, its, yeah, yeah. for its aircraft. Mm. What, what, what courtship is there between the industry the, uh, and, the, and the Nazi party? And uh, who's wooing who? Well, it's it's more of a case of because there's this sort of floating around of contracts and of different companies in a way that perhaps isn't quite always so. Um, in Britain, sometimes it can be a little bit more inflexible. Um, but in right. Germany, there is this kind of there is there is this idea of really creating this competitive sphere in a way because again, it's it's linking into this idea of of um, you know the top the top dog basically um, coming out. And creating the aircraft that will, you know, win Hitler the war and that sort of thing. And and so that this sort of vying for contracts is incredibly important politically because, you know, it is this chance to impress the Fuhrer and um, create those sort of aircraft. Um, in terms of sort of procurement, you've mainly got Ernst Udert. Um, yeah. in control of that. Um, but of course, you know, the problem is within with him and with Milch, there's a very bad sort of um, inter-rivalry there. And of course, there's arguments over which aircraft should be procured and what they should be, uh, what roles they should be placed in. And of well, course, arguably, they, they really make a hash of that. They do. <laughs> I mean, yes. it's all, it all goes horribly yeah. wrong after, after Weber gets... Um, kills himself doesn't it yes well that's the problem with, with when Viva's killed um this is the thing i mean you know so, so, so just so, so people know that Viva was the um the chief of staff of the luftwaffe until he decided that he needed to learn to fly um and then probably <laughs> killed yeah. himself in a hind collar if i remember rightly yeah well yeah uh, but i think he died in when was it 1936 or 38 it's or something early i think it's 36 yeah because he's not there long obviously after the luftwaffe is revealed and then yushonik um, takes over and yushonik is, is kind of young firebrand and Politicized. He's yes, yeah, absolutely. He's a Nazi yesman, yeah. And, and Milk is the is the constant who who is, I mean, let's face it, he's extremely competent. Isn't oh, he? he's a, absolutely, he's a, he's a ruthless, ruthless in his ambitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, but because Goering is in charge of the Nazi economy from 1936, you know, yeah. he's in charge of the four year plan. You know, he, his tentacles, his own personal tentacles, reach out to every part of the Nazi economy. Yes, at that stage, exactly. And build up to yeah. war, and obviously that 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 incorporates all aspects of yes. of industry, which is why you get Hermann Goering Werker and all the rest yes, of it. You know, where he's exactly. basically controlling the kind of essence yeah. of industry. Yeah, absolutely, um, and that applies yeah. to to the uh, aviation as well. You know, and that's yeah. why you get. Things like you know the, the the number two fighter plane is 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 not the Heinkel one one two for example, yes. uh, with its elliptical wings and wide undercarriage and <laughs> incredible yeah. um, um, range. It's it's the Messerschmitt one one zero, the Destorer, the Destroyer, <laughs> because Goering just likes the cut of its jib. 
Yeah. There's, this there's is no the other reason than that. This is the issue. I mean, well, Udit's own weakness is dive bombing. You know, he's, he basically yeah. sees the Stuka uh, in the Spanish Civil War and then he thinks, right, that's it. And then he's suddenly trying to force aircraft into dive bombing roles where they shouldn't be. And yeah, and this is, I mean, the, the problem with aircraft production in industry, of course, is that, you know, those that do show a clearer allegiance to the Nazis are sort of favoured. Um, but then, you know, the Nazis can be terrible like in sort of Pepe pushing, you know, you know, like, yeah, exactly. And then pushing, yeah. you know, people like Junkers out of their own company. It's then you've got the issue of you're really, you're losing the expertise that you need. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so this is the problem is, is that you sort of, Nazification in that regard gets in the way in terms of you sort of have this loyalty and contracts and sort of trying to go for um, certain ideas that are only pushed forward because, they come from politically powerful figures rather than them actually yeah. being competent in that regard, you know, with regards to military operation. In addition to politicisation, it, it's, it's part of the same thing, I suppose, but yeah. it's also just this sort of favouritism. Oh, uh, and, 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 you know, in the case of Luftwaffe intelligence, you've got General Martini, who is a general, yes. who is kind of completely sidelined from the intelligence picture, yeah. um, compared with Joseph... Schmidt, Beppo yes. Schmidt, yes. who is a veteran of the Beer Hall Putsch, yeah. likes the ladies, likes getting pissed with Goering, yes. is on Goering's personal staff and yeah. is also a Luftwaffe, head of a, yeah. um, a Luftwaffe intelligence abteilen department, yes. but is junior in yeah. rank yeah. to Martini. And the whole thing's just, a, it's just an absolute mess. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, and, yeah. and Beppo Schmidt is just, you know, actually later on in the war, he's quite effective but, but in but the in battle the, of britain <laughs> he absolutely yeah. is not and thank goodness but i mean you know it's, it's just astonishing <laughs> how goering can can elevate him and, and take so much account of what yeah. he's saying even though he is just supremely ill equipped yeah. to be providing that absolutely. advice but what absolutely. he does have is is the political credentials well you're absolutely right because of the fact that you know the Luftwaffe is built on favoritism we can't go yeah. around this the whole point that it gets funded so heavily is because of Goering so yeah. you know and and considerably so compared to the Kriegsmarine so you know it's this is the issue is that it is built on favoritism but favoritism is also it's it's downfall really we need to take a break right now. We'll be back after these propaganda messages from the world of capitalism. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Goings <coughs> Empire Building, is this also how the Luftwaffe ends up with enormous divisions of, I mean, of infantry? Mm. Well, you know, there's... Yeah. there's, yeah. there's I don't know, tens of thousands of Falschenjäger divisions. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 also Luftwaffe f- foot soldier formations that aren't Falschenjäger. There's just all sorts yes. of people. And there's also yeah. the the, the, the Hermann Goering Falschen Corps, as it becomes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and that's his. That's him. Empire building, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, men that yeah. could have gone into the here. And also, he's responsible f- for flak defence too. Yes. Because that's the thing that the <laughs> army, you know, in in, in British Army, that's a or the British system, that's yes. an army responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously, further down the line, then the the British think, hang on a minute, we need an RAF regiment and we need to protect our airfields. The RAF yes. thing, we need to protect our airfields ourselves yeah. and not leave it to the Pongos. But but the, I mean, it, is that Goering really cranking down on empire building and building building himself a private army? Because after all, again, we go back to the SS. You see that as Himmler's mm. sort of. Um, private army, an adjunct to the to yes. the Nazi state, and yeah. a, sh- a shadow army or a shadow p- a potential replacement state. Yeah. Is it simply Goering doing the same thing uh, for for his own political ends? Yeah. I mean, how does it fit into the 
into the sort of strategic picture, if at all. I mean, it does to some or extent. Operational that, picture, rather. Yeah, so. I mean, there is there is a bit of logic to it, um, you know, because I mean, obviously, with the Fallschirmjäger, they are some are Luftwaffe, some are army, um, sort of yeah. more in, in a sort of uh, unofficially army, because honestly, they couldn't function if they were. That they're needed so closely to the main troops that they, they yeah. couldn't function if they weren't part of the army. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, in some parts it makes sense because of the fact that if the Fallschirmjäger are with the Luftwaffe, then it's much easier to drop them behind enemy lines yeah. immediately. Yeah, yeah. So basically you've got the immediate, you know, the, the typical Luftwaffe trick of trying to clear out an air force on the ground before it can get to you, um, which it does so many times as part of Blitzkrieg. Um, but the whole idea is that once those forces are subdued, then you can drop the, you know, it, it does make sense to have the same organisation sort of continuing almost the second wave but but no I agree with you in that it's very much you know a lot of it is also like the Luftwaffe field divisions for instance is just Göring's yeah. ego it, 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 yeah. it's not really they don't <laughs> need to be Luftwaffe you know no. can I just ask well, you about enough, the, well but, but to extend your point as well there's no more Fauche, proper full scale Fauchemiego operations after Crete anyway no, no exactly so yeah. so so you don't that the necessity that, that that creates that link and afterwards yeah. one of the problems that the British have is getting with their airborne thing is how do you get the RAF to do what the, the army wants and they yes. never they never ever yeah. resolve that. Yeah. Um, but but I mean it is his, it's his private army, isn't it? Essentially, I I mean yes and no. I I think it's sort of to do with you know with Goering. Um, it is a bit. Of, it's more of his play thing. I think I would right. probably oh, that's, say that's um, that's even better. That's you know yeah, I, yeah. that's yeah. the thing. I think it's sort of a it's it's a little bit of a an ego boost in that regard and you know sort of being given different divisions and things for for birthdays and celebrations and that sort of thing you yeah. know i mean obviously the luftwaffe uh, one veteran um says to another one just after there's the change um in the from the battle of britain to the blitz um you know and obviously Goering ends up start, it starts attacking british cities that one of the veterans says to the other you know we all know he's no more than a child you know in terms of Goering. um and i think <laughs> this is the thing you know he does have this sort of idea of wanting to do this thing and that thing and this thing and it's it is quite like that and i wouldn't go so far as to say that it you know the the fallschirmjäger the the field divisions etc are kind of designed as a bit of his 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 private army in the same way that you know you could talk about the the ss for instance um but that's a reflection of their different characters isn't but that's it? the thing so yeah Ger that's the thing you so, know, so himmler is the yeah. sort of organized organized organizer yeah isn't he and ideologically motivated guy whereas Goering is much more motivated by appetites and again expediency yes i mean goering is is honestly very very complex in terms of the fact that you know some veterans claim that in secret he said i'm not really a national socialist i'm more of a monarchist um and then of course another, <laughs> you know and, and you know what, so, i just so believe that you know and <laughs> i completely believe that. this is the thing and then in other points of course you know he is we can't get over the fact that he's he is partially responsible for the holocaust so you know it, it's incredibly inconsistent um others argue actually there's a, i think hurst borg argues that um he felt that the luftwaffe was possibly more politically indifferent because of the fact that because goering's at the head you can assume it's national socialist therefore you might right. not necessarily have politicization threaded through it quite so tightly now I, I think that's sort of going a little too far the other way from the other narrative of it's a true child of national socialism yeah we should just say that hurst you know. borg is is one of the legendary he is a legend um, german yeah. academics 
He's yes. one of the people that organised and, and wrote and um, edited the official histories. Yes. The German official histories of the of the Second World yeah, War. Absolutely. And his, his specialisation is aviation. Yes. But, but just to go to the air crew. Yes. I mean, when they were being recruited, they weren't having to do kind of sort of tests on how much they love Nazism before they got accepted. No, I mean... Or, or was that a given because they're coming up through... You know the glider clubs, and, so yeah, yeah, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the and the glider clubs, and all yes. the rest of the Hitler Youth. Yeah. So, so that's already a given, is it? Well, it's a it's a little bit um, complicated. I mean, obviously there is some sort of reliance on on you know the fact that surely, hopefully, for the Nazis in the Hitler Youth, they've picked up political indoctrination in the National Socialist Flyers Corps, etc. Um, the Luftwaffe does have political instruction courses. Uh, which are... But you don't have a test to get in or anything? No, not not in the... No, the emissions test is much more to do with, uh, you know, with, with practical... And... Exactly, with practical measures. Although, to be fair, they do they do ask things like, have you been in the National Socialist Flyers Corps? Because that... There is a preference for that, but at the same time, it's hard to ascertain how far there's a preference because of the political indoctrination, how much it is from the practical matters of learning to glide um, and that sort of thing. Um, but... It's one of those things that when they are admitted, you know, really, and and because the fact that the admissions tests are so strict, you know, actually, if you cut everyone else out on top that were politicised, or sorry, that weren't politicised, you really wouldn't have a Luftwaffe. So, yeah, you're absolutely right in that regard, um, James, and the fact that, you know, in terms of admission, um, you know, I think it's sort of hoped that there'll be politicizer enough or at least the seed will be planted and then you know they will grow it as they are in the Luftwaffe well and the state of Nazi Germany the chances that chances are that's they're absolutely right on that yeah. score aren't they so yeah. so that, that's a that's a reasonably safe bet isn't it yes so so when you say there's political classes within the what what form what format does that take what 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 politicization is happening once you're in once you're in the Luftwaffe um yeah so I mean as I say there's the political instruction classes um there's also you know the bombardment of Nazi propaganda as well so of course you've got uh, as I mentioned earlier the the uh, Der Adler or the Eagle magazine that's full of you know quite a lot of Nazi propaganda the um and before that that's also covered by the Deutsche Luftwacht which is uh, the German Airwatch magazine in the National Socialist Flyers Corps um it is estimated that about 40% of the Luftwaffe's personnel do rise through the National Socialist Flyers Corps so quite a a big chunk um wow. others come through other school systems you know technical um colleges um and those sort of different areas military schools all with their different levels of political indoctrination some are more practical and some are, are a little bit more theoretical um but once they're in the Luftwaffe obviously some of the men will have had that background some won't have but they do have courses on you know sort of the Nazi Weltanschauung or the world view um you know they do have those aspects and later into the war there's a there's a, a stronger um, impl- um implementation of national socialist leadership officers um who are you know the the the, the Luftwaffe veterans kind of claim that you know oh they're these like I think they call them the gold pheasants or something because they've got yeah. like these really big belts and they've got all their decorations and everything and you know and they sort of they're quite mocking of them um and indeed sometimes you do see moments where they they go against politicization there's some Luftwaffe crews that refused to have um, propaganda company 
correspondents come with them because they just thought there'd be a hindrance you know so sometimes you yeah. did have um correspondents flying in the in the bombers with them um but the Luftwaffe sort of clamped down on that and made sure that any correspondents that went up in the air with them were useful so basically you know there being a, a correspondent recording it and then it's like oh you know crap there's a spitfire and then they've had to go and start gunning them you know so it's it's really quite a bizarre situation um but yeah it's sort of it's inconsistent some of it's in newspapers obviously the speeches from the um that they get from visiting nazi figures so that the likes of goebbels and sometimes hitler comes and and that sort of thing um so some of it is kind of I, in my thesis, I define it as structural Nazification and social Nazification. So structural Nazification, I say, is more things like the fact that they put in the Aryan paragraph into the Wehrmacht and therefore into the Luftwaffe, which means that they can use that to eject um, personnel of of Jewish heritage, which did happen. Um, And then also social Nazification, I define as more with you know with propaganda newsreels um and you know and obviously you can you can test the effects of that looking at the men's field letters um so you know there's there's quite a a lot of different ways in which they try to achieve that but 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 if it's you know let's say it's the late 1930s and you're you're sort of i don't know 18 in 1939 yes uh, and everything seems to be going swimmingly well and hitler seems to be a genius yes he's, he's reclaimed german pride yeah um and the shiny new airplanes and that's the most, you know, sexy part of the armed forces you can be a part of. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, why aren't you going to buy into all that? Exactly. Uh, and you, yeah. I mean, you just got look at look at Heinocker's diaries, for yes. example. You know, yes, absolutely. He, he's an out and out Nazi well, to well, begin yes. with. Well, but in reply to that, it's 1943. Um, uh, Sicily has fallen. Yes. Um, yeah, it's uh, completely gone. Hamburg has been a, Hamburg has been obliterated. Yeah. Why would Why would you buy into any of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the the interesting thing. So, is yeah. there a process? of because after all from sort of 43 on there is there is a a process of radicalization that happens within within germany and, and, and you know that the, the nazi top brass radicalize themselves further yes. further and further and further and it becomes more and more yeah. more and more ideologically driven is that happening in the luftwaffe as well again it it sort of <laughs> this is the problem when you when well, you the, do the, a study but, this but, long but it's, re- it's both sides yeah. But the reason I ask is because, yeah. you know, um, uh, Mackie Steinhoff's uh, account of flying in Sicily, it's all mm. like, it's all like, Goering doesn't understand me. Yeah. Galland's a fool. He's gone, yeah. he's, he's gone too we're far. We're abandoned. We're blamed and, for and everything. We're abandoned. And, and, us, yes. uh, and, and, and I very much understand that Steinhoff then becomes a very important figure in post-war Germany. In the, uh, yes, uh, he does. Yes. In, you know, and yeah, is an important yeah. fighter pilot and all that and a cold, important NATO guy. And, yeah. I get so, so he's hardly going to write a memoir that goes, um, I was doing it for Fuhrer and Fatherland. <laughs> yes, but yeah. in the case of the Sicily one, that is based on the diary that he kept. I know, I know, but it, it's yeah. still, it, it, it is, but it's still based on it. And, yes, and yeah. you might excise the bit which says, thank God we're, you know, thank God we're doing this for the, you know what I mean? But, yes. but, but the interesting thing about the plight of the Luftwaffe is, is that to start off with, they're all shiny and exciting and new mm. and they're kind of the spearhead and everyone loves them and they're the glamour boys. Yeah. And, and they're they're considered the sort of the great heroes by the summer of 1940. And then it starts to go wrong because they don't win the Battle of Britain. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's all sorts of catastrophes. And Hitler increasingly blames Goering, who yeah. then increasingly blames... Passes it down the line. Passes yeah. it down the line. Yeah. And so there is this sort of, hang on a minute, I thought we were the kind of the cool guys and we were the, we were the top dogs and suddenly we're kind of in the, you know, on the naughty step. Yeah. Mm. And that starts to kind of... You know, I'm trivialising it, obviously, but 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 it's but but that starts to sort of spread throughout but, the Luftwaffe, mm. I think. And you you know, so many of those accounts 
and obviously it's it's only a handful but so many of them start talking about you know what's keeping us together is the camaraderie of my friends uh, you know there's very little talk of Nazism well, but, but, national socialism but, but, and a political driving driving force but 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 there would wouldn't there there would there wouldn't be would there if you're if you're writing memoirs in the 50s if you're a german writing memoirs you're going to talk about being a knight of the air and the mm. chivalric nature of air combat I, I, yes i guess so. and and all that which is after all how adolf galland ends up Sort of someone, you know, my my father did a war game with him in 1974. Did that sea lion thing where Galland played the head of the Luftwaffe and <laughs> dad, dad was his ADC. You know, like <laughs> the, 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 those characters survive untouched by, mm. you know, mm-hmm. sort of Speer style in a way. That, yes. they, that, they, that they emerge mm. kind of clean. So, yeah. so which brings us to, you know, there is no clean Luftwaffe, is there? Mm. Even though this might be the well, except, except with someone like Heinz Locker, who's that that diary is just written yeah. on on the time, and you you he he's clearly a Nazi even at the end of the war, but yeah. but, mm. but his disillusionment to this fact that they're being blamed, this sort yes. of feeling entrenched, becomes more and more yeah, yeah, yeah. clear. And, yes. and, and and there's that amazing moment where where I think it's sort of early 1944, and he's he's got this new recruit with him who's basically mm. not flown at all, and he says, "Whatever you do, just stick with glue." Mm. And the guy, his wingman, sort of actually managed to hit an American bomber. And then moments later, he's spiralling down yeah. as well. Mm. And he follows him down and realises it's his hometown of Hamlin. Mm. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the new recruit has crashed into the very field where he went to a Luftwaffe recruitment drive in 1938 yeah. mm. or something. You know, and it's, yeah. and it's just, it's incredibly moving and tragic. Yeah. And, and But also it's sort of his hubris... Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. So you've got an entire political movement built around the idea of victory. Yes. And you start, and you start losing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. what well, I, I love this discussion that you're having because it it honestly sounds like my thesis, both sides of my thesis, arguing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really was like that because. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. There's sort of a debate over, you know, the clean Wehrmacht myth, but the actual clean Luftwaffe myth is only just sort of starting to be looked into. Um, and I mean, my I, I can only speak for my study. I found that the Luftwaffe was probably at its most broadly political leading up to the Second World War, um, simply because I think it's in this really flattered stage. You know, it's got the, um, I know that Adolf Gallant um, mentions about how just before the Luftwaffe is revealed, um, Goering comes to Schleisheim and he reveals the Luftwaffe uniform and everyone's like oh my god you know like it's so cool cool. and I want to wear it and you know and this sort of thing and you know obviously to Luftwaffe it means even more anything that they get because it is truly being constructed and it uh, reconstructed and it's new and it needs an identity and that sort of thing Um, I do think sometimes some historians claim a little too much that the Luftwaffe had no um, real sort of identity and therefore it could be more Nazified because in fact actually sort of German militarism and Prussian tradition actually really do uh, rule the Luftwaffe to a certain extent you know right. I mean in the in a uh, Luftwaffe training manual from uh, I think it's about 1936-37 you know it, it talks about the fact that the average Luftwaffe recruit is a bit confused because you know he expects to be there to be flying and then suddenly it's like no we have to train you in the Prussian German tradition first as a soldier so they learn to drill they learn to shoot 
um, they learn their trade that way and then they can move towards aviation. So, you know, um, <laughs> starting up from the, the beginning in that regard, you know, and of course there is the influence of the fighter aces from the First World War as well that's in that tradition uh, and is in history classes. So therefore, you know, it's not entirely devoid of... of um, earlier influences but certainly you know I think the Luftwaffe definitely kind of sells its soul to the devil in a way I think it basically it wants that kind of recognition it wants that sort of renaissance in a way Um, and so as a result I think it's more willing to put up with that and I know Gunther Rahl says the same he says that basically you know we put up with the ugly parts of, 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 of Nazi policy, you know, of, of the National Socialists because they were keeping all their promises so far. And, and obviously this is looking at, uh, you know, when Hitler starts acquiring various territories in the, in the interwar period. Um, and so as a result, I think that, you know, I think that is the period from around 1933 to 39. I think that is when the Luftwaffe is at its most political because okay there's bloodshed in the Spanish Civil War but most of it is actually the men driving off the mountains you know they actually most of the casualties in the Spanish Civil War for the Condor Legion are um, actually you know the the Spanish terrain they're not actually being shot down in great numbers um, you know by by the Russians so you know it's actually not um, their their political faith is not yet really tested all they're seeing is, is good things and success and then I think Within the Second World War, I do think that there's actually earlier on, there is already sort of disillusion with the war quite early on. Like even just after Poland, there's this mm. feeling of, oh, well, you know, we've got Poland. That's great. Let, you know, can, can we just cut it there sort of thing? And obviously some see the the lull, like the phony war, but, you know, the Germans know it as the Sitzkrieg, um, the sitting war. Uh, you know, there is this hope after every single thing that right that's the end now so you know you have the fall of france that's the end it's the blitz surely that's the end now it's barbarossa surely that's the end and the problem is is that the luftwaffe's political faith gets constantly tested because it's being chronically breadcrumbed by the nazi leadership but then also you know for some the resolve gets stronger because you you have this idea of right right, well we're in it together and then later on you know there's total war there's this idea of this schicksalsgemeinschaft which is this this community of fate everyone's facing the same problems um to link the the wehrmacht and the and the German public together and so there's others that actually become even more fervent and say you know we need to um, pursue total war utterly and barbarically and that's how we'll win and that sort of thing so it's it's very strange with its politics because it fluctuates a lot and you get moments of 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 sheer belief in Hitler and the, and the Nazi regime and that's perhaps most uh, notably shown by of course the idea of the of the um, suicide squadrons the suicide pilots in the Luftwaffe the idea of the of um ramming allied bombers um and obviously knowing that they're probably not going to come back from it um in some degrees that is true Nazi fanaticism because that you know operationally that makes no sense um you know whereas in terms of uh those that have lost their faith um, by that point know they have to keep fighting anyway. So it's difficult sometimes to see which ones are fighting out of political convictions and which are fighting because they don't right. want to lose. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the, the Luftwaffe is completely abused in the first part of the well, throughout the whole war, but but yeah. certainly the first part of the war because it's uh, it's a part of the armed services which is is used more than any other. It I mean, is it's just yeah. constantly in action all yeah. the time. They've any respite. Yes. You know, in the Battle of Britain, obviously, the Luftwaffe is being used in a in a form that it's not designed yeah. to be used. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's not. It's there yes, is, compare and contrast not, with with a crewman on the turpits. Right. Yeah, completely. For, for but I mean, you know, the, the, the Luftwaffe is not a strategic air force, it's a tactical yeah. air force. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and suddenly it's being asked to do something that it's not equipped or trained yeah. or designed to do. Yeah. And, it, and it's just everywhere. You know, it's on the Eastern Front, it's in the Mediterranean, it's just, you know, it's on the Western Front, you know, and, and it's supposed to be all things and, and provide defensive actions, aggressive yes. actions, yeah. strike forces, support for the ground forces. And, and and it's just a, it's an absolute mess, mm. and it's not it's not a surprise that yes. that a large proportion of those pilots who've survived that yes. and have lived to tell the day uh, lived to tell a um, tell the story yeah but have also seen lots of their friends and comrades who were sort of bright and shiny yeah. with them in 1939 and 1940 have long since died. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to get disillusioned. You're going to turn into but but, Maggie yeah. Steinhoff. But but but. I think it's interesting to look at Steinhoff, the, the new recruits in 1944, 1945. Mm. You know, is the Luftwaffe having an issue with with, with getting people? Are they both the people they're getting? They're motivated because after all, pilots pilots is different to infantrymen, isn't it? Mm. You, you need you need a certain kind of person. Yes. And are they, how how's that working towards the end of the war? Getting new people to to to, to training them and motivating them is that yes. is that locked into a total war step so so you, the, the people at the end of the war aren't disillusioned in this way they're basically mm. they they are indoctrinated people is, Some, is that what is that what you're getting um sort of i mean obviously you know there are there's certainly shortages towards the end of of um the second world war in terms of pilots and then of course their training is so badly impacted as well um which of course doesn't help with morale because you know they're getting fuel shortages and their hours are cut they're having to be forced onto the front line you know at a time where really they're not ready to they're having to sort of learn on the job um and you know i i think that in terms of recruitment it's still occurs and in some ways actually there is a little bit of a they do kind of negate some of the problems with the Luftwaffe with political instructions so for instance there is a I think it's a newspaper I can't remember which one I think it's a national newspaper that um it sort of follows the career of um, Erich Hartmann, so Bubi Hartmann. Um, and obviously he is so young and so accomplished. And this Nazi article really makes um, a, a deal of the fact that he went to what was called a Napola, or it was basically sort of a Nazi boarding school. Um, right. And it talks about how, you know, he's truly the embodiment of the new National Socialist pilot. Um, and in terms of those within some of the schools, there's still quite a strong feeling to want to go into the Luftwaffe. So they're not actually designed as military schools, but there is still a military roll call. And as Gunther Hall, um uh, testifies because he went to Annapola, um, you know, there is this basically this unwritten understanding that you'll be in the Wehrmacht if you yeah. want to be, if you're from Annapola sort of thing. Right, right, um, right. And so... You know, I mean, I, I can't speak for Hartman specifically, but, you know, there is still this feeling of 
many young boys going through certain schools and certain institutes that do want to fight um, in the Wehrmacht. And of course, the Luftwaffe is still appealing in that regard. You've still yeah. got um, the stories of the Knights of the Air. Is, and there's this creation, obviously, of new fighter aces that they can emulate. You've got like Mölders, you've got Gallants, you've got Barkhorn, you know. So um, I think in terms of volunteers, I don't know specific numbers. I know that um, obviously there are some issues with pilot shortages because they, simply they're not training them fast enough to replace them yeah. um, in terms of the fact that uh, they kind of have to wait um, and sort of learn on the front line sort of thing. And of course, the thing is, if they're learning on the front line, they're more likely to be getting shot down anyway because they're inexperienced. So, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of like a vicious um, cycle. I don't think they ever truly run short in terms of people wanting to be interested. But if it's the actual calibre that they need, like that's a yeah. different question. Calibre and yeah, motivation yeah. and yeah. morale become the, the central questions. I mean, it, at, at the end, don't they? Yes. I mean, it's, it's so interesting, this. Um, yeah, that's a great line. Just, uh, just remembering that fantastic story about Hans-Jock in Marseille and he goes to get his um, yes. his uh, oak leaves, no, his swords and diamonds, I think, mm. uh, in one go at Rastenburg. Mm. And uh, there's a party, there's a reception there. And oh, Goering, yeah, yeah. Goering says, you really must join the party. And he goes, yes. well, I'm all for joining a party if there's lots of girls. Yes, <laughs> it's very Marseille. <laughs> it's yeah. very Marseille. In fact, actually, Marseille is one of the really interesting cases in that regard in terms of politicisation because, you know, I mean, technically he does, he doesn't join the Nazi party um, in the end. And obviously he incurs criticism for having the friendship with um, a black South African prisoner of war. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, Matthias Latulu. And, um, or Matthew, but of course but they, start, they start calling him Matthias. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing is that he does you know, he does go against Nazi racial policy and he does incur criticism for, you know, basically going against the the Aryan um, ideal. Um, But, you know, this is the thing. You do get the occasional uh, rebel, um, but it's sort of... I mean, a lot is made of the fighter pilots' revolt, for instance, um, you know, speaking of Steinhoff. And I think that it's an incredibly brave thing to do in terms of the fact that, you know, obviously in in the wake of the... um, of the July bomb plot, you know, going against leadership is, is it, the Nazi leadership is particularly dangerous. But at the same time, I noticed Steinhoff after the war t- tries to spin it a little bit in terms of being like trying to make it more political resistance rather than military. Um, and he basically sort of says, you know... And it is military resistance. It's military It's resistance. military. Yeah. It's, oh, it's 100%. They, they, they are so frustrated with Goering's, you know, leadership. And then, you know, you've got all the issues of... Uh, well, there's just the the string of disasters, you know, Gisler and Bodenplatte and all of the different ones, um, and so you know it is very much military. But the thing is, is he sort of spins it and tries to say, you know, oh well, we didn't really know what was happening to the Jews, and unfortunately, the fighter pilots' revolt came too late, and it's yeah. a bit like, oh, well, and, and this is despite the fact that he did hear. Um, at one point about some SS units who had created what they called this clever way of eliminating Jews. And he sort of said, you know, I couldn't ascertain completely what it was. You know, I was a fighter pilot. I was in daily operations, etc. But it yeah. was just the fact that it sort of, you know, you knew something was afoot, which well, a lot word, of Luftwaffe personnel yeah, did. Yeah, and word they reached him nevertheless. That. You know, didn't yeah. it? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the Well, thing. this has all been absolutely... That's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant chat. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Yeah. So, thank you, Victoria. Just very quickly, just tell us um, what what's sort of next on the horizon. Get your PhD. Yes. Well, Taylor. defending at the end of the year, um, and then really just 
uh, it would be great to publish more, I think. I've just not had so much time to do it, really, with, with trying to do the research. Um, sort of drifting between academic and popular history at the moment. So we'll, we'll see if I come down on, on a side or if I stay in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, come, come, back and, come back on the show again. Yeah, please Thank do. Yeah. Th- thanks so much thank- for having me. Oh, no, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.